quick comment about the, the children's choir. I know that they have already departed, but um, I don't know what you watch or pay attention to when the kids are singing. I love the sign language. If you can watch, and I have the privilege of watching off to the side here, the signs, how they just capture the richness of the words that we're singing. Um, it really is spectacular. So maybe, maybe you haven't been able to see or pay attention to the kids um, as they're signing. And they're signing away, by the way. Some of them are doing a fantastic job. Um, just, just watch next time they sing. I think it's an encouragement. It's an encouragement to me. It may be um, to you as well. As Pastor Wes mentioned a moment ago before we sang our last congregational song, we do have the privilege of having uh, Keith and Kristen Getty with us. And I noticed, actually my wife pointed out last week, we put a picture of two people on the wall um, to kind of give you an image of what they look like. Um, how many of you were here when Laura Story came? And remember, a number of us were here when Laura came. So Laura Story, she's a sweet lady, by the way. Had a great time getting to know her. She drove up in a van with a violin player, a piano player, and a driver. That was it. They are going to show up with a tractor trailer and two buses. This is far from two people, okay? They bring a, a large group of musicians with them. Uh, their music, if you've not been exposed to them very much, has kind of an Irish flavor to it. Um, as I mentioned before, they have written a number of hymns that we sing here at Grace in Christ Alone is arguably um, probably the one you're most familiar with. At the Cross is another one. Um, is another, I don't think I had the title of that one right. But um, In Christ Alone is the primary one that you, that you probably know. Um, but I, let me put it to you this way. Um, it's, a, it's a privilege to have them. But here's what I told the pastors. The, the concert is on Friday night, October 28th. And it's kind of bringing our missions month to an end. It's going to be kind of a highlight of the missions month. They hit our parking lot at 7 a.m. Friday morning. So the pastors will report here at about 6.30, and I promise to get them home sometime Saturday. <laughs> this is going to be a substantial undertaking for our church, our ministry, and our school to work together to have the opportunity to have the Gettys with us. I won't go into details of how it happened, um, but it really was a work of, of God that they are able to, to be with us. I say that to say a couple of things. We, we will be making tickets available for this. Um, we do have to, unfortunately, sell tickets in order for this to happen. We'll get information out to you, Lord willing, by next Sunday um, to let you know the details about that, how you can get them, and all of that. However, we also are going to be needing uh, a good number of volunteers throughout the day uh, to be able to help with some of the, the needs that their team will have. By the way, they hit us Friday night. They sleep on their bus overnight. They, they are with us Friday evening, hit their bus, and they're off to their next uh, church where they will be on Saturday. So they live truly a life on the road, and um, they, I'm excited about it. I can't wait. to. I've seen them before, by the way. Michelle and I have been uh, to where they have uh, put on a concert before, and your heart will be profoundly blessed. And so put that on your calendar for October 28th at 7 p.m., and again, we will get more information out to you by next Sunday. I also want to mention that this coming Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, I will be teaching the next new members class. So if you have been visiting Grace for a period of time, or if you're brand new to Grace and you're just curious to get to know us a little bit better, um, I will be teaching that class this coming Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. And that's going to be in the library 
It's in our high school building, which is right off this side of the campus. And if you show up Wednesday night, not sure where to go, we will certainly direct you um, in the right direction. If you have questions about that, you can see me after the service, and I would be more than happy to, to answer those for you. Um, before we look at the scripture, I want to also take this opportunity to welcome those of you that are first-time guests with us here at Grace this morning. If you are here for the first time, I would ask if you take a minute today and use the QR code. It's on a piece of cardboard on the pew in front of you. It looks like the one on the screen um, behind me right now. And you can scan that with your uh, cell phone. That'll take you to where you can just tell us a little bit about yourself, take you to our online digital guest card, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, and also if you have a question about our ministry that we can answer, we would certainly be glad to do that. If you have interest in the new members class, if you have interest in any other ministry, you can use the same card and you can contact us through that. Um, I also want to take just a moment on a personal level and uh, just welcome our guests online. Um, and I'm doing this for this reason. Uh, I have two sisters that watch every Sunday uh, online. And this morning, one of my sisters is watching from the hospital. And so I wanted to uh, say good morning to Jan and let her know that we are praying for you and pray that you get home uh, and get better real soon. But I know she has uh, been a little discouraged the last couple of days. So Jan, we are certainly praying for you. And we know you're watching. We're so grateful for that. Uh, so let's pray together. And then we will jump into the book of Ephesians. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful and grateful this morning that we have the privilege as the body of Christ to calm our hearts before you today, and, and more importantly, to calm our hearts and bring our minds and attention before you as we approach Scripture today. God, I ask that you would use the, the words that I speak, not so that people would hear what I have to say, because at the end of the day, that's, that's profoundly irrelevant, but rather we would hear what your word has to say to us today. I believe that where we sit as a church, as we sit, uh, where we sit as a culture, that these verses that we're going to be looking at together this morning are, are very important for, for each and every one of us. And so God, I pray that as we study your word this morning, that you would use it in our hearts to help us grow and change, learn more about who you are and the task to which you have called us. And so we pray for your blessing in our time together this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we've begun uh, what in my mind was going to be about a four-week study on the armor of God, and most of you probably laughed to yourself or laughed out loud. It's probably going to end up being a little bit longer um, than just four weeks, uh, but we are going to take some time and look at this text. This has been a, a text that's been on my mind really for several weeks, um, and so I wanted to just take this opportunity to share this with you, and uh, prayerfully, God can use this in all of our hearts and lives as we interact with the culture in which we live. You know, if you know anything about world cultures or world history, I think you would have to agree that practically every culture that has ever existed and still exists today has some idea about the realities of a physical world but also a spiritual world. You can travel to practically any culture that there is currently on the face of our planet or has historically been, and there is some concept about a spiritual reality that exists beyond the physical world in which we see. In Scripture, we learn 
we learned last week, we're beginning to learn, understand a little bit better, that the Bible tells us that there is a spiritual battle that is taking place in the hearts and lives of every single person that is living at this moment in time. If you are a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you have put your faith in Christ for salvation, and you do not sense a spiritual battle in your soul, it may be that you have become complacent or you're sitting on the sideline trying to stay out of the fray because you'd rather not get too involved. Because the reality is we face a spiritual enemy who does not play fair. He is desperately trying to dethrone God, although he never will. He is trying to get into the hearts of believers and discourage you and to pull you away from God's truth. His goal is to use his schemes to confuse you, to create chaos in this age and in your life so that you may very well be spiritually discouraged. There are certain realities that we all must face in this world. We joke, taxes and death are the two. And yet, there is another inevitability that will happen in the life of every Christian, is that sooner or later you will face temptation that will come your way in order for Satan and his demons to lure you away from what is right. Now, we can't, as I've said before, say the infamous Satan made me do it. It's Satan's fault. Satan simply knows this about you by observing your life and mine. There is something attractive to you that when he holds it in front of you, you are extremely tempted because of your sinful flesh to follow after what your heart desires, even if it violates Scripture. I said this for a long time, erroneously, wrongly, that certain people have addictive personalities and others do not. I am profoundly wrong. I was profoundly wrong. Every one of us have an addictive personality. The question is, what is the bait that Satan will use to lure you away from God and God's truth and God's word? We all have it. Christians should never fear the devil because he is a defeated enemy. However, we must understand the warfare in which we fight. So in Ephesians chapter 6, we are going to begin to study in more detail the particular aspects of the armor of God that we introduced last week. Today, we are only going to do one because I want you to look at this text Maybe in a way you've never thought about before, and, and the worst thing a pastor can hear, by the way, is somebody come up after a service and say, wow, pastor, I never would have got that out of that text. If you can't get it out of the text, it's likely not there, okay? So I'm not going to tell you something you can't see for yourself, but possibly it's an observation that you have never made before. So in Ephesians chapter 6, I want you to begin reading with me in verse 14, and we're going to read this text a little bit backwards, okay? We're going to jump around a little bit in some of these verses. So, sorry to the tech guys upstairs. Verse 14, notice that verse begins, stand therefore. That is the very first 
couple of words in that sentence, stand therefore. As I said last week, when you see a wherefore or a therefore, stop and see what it is therefore. Why did God say that? Well, stand, to give you a little bit of background on this, it means to stand firm, that you are firmly planted. Well, the question has to be, why do I need to stand firm? Back to verse 12, which I would argue is the core, if you will, of this section of Scripture, Ephesians 6, 12. Why do we need to stand? Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present age, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We are in a spiritual battle. The word wrestle, as we talked last week, is hand-to-hand combat. Literally, me trying to get someone on the ground by the throat and force them into submission. That's the idea of wrestle. Well, how do we do that? Well, Paul is going to now give us six pieces of armor. And we're going to look in detail one. But I want to make an observation about all six before we jump into the one this morning. I don't want to turn this into a seminary classroom, so bear with me for a minute. With each of the six that we are going to look at, I am going to offer for you, not me because I found it because it was secretly hidden somewhere, but I am going to present to you Old Testament parallels in which I believe the Apostle Paul is drawing this imagery from. Some of these are almost direct quotes, but none of them are directly quoted. Some are a little bit more of an illusion than they are a direct quotation. But I want to show you Old Testament texts that are going to show us that when God says he wants you to suit up in the armor of God, he is saying, suit up in the armor that I have worn, that I have demonstrated for you. That I have put on myself each piece of armor as it is presented in a physical picture. Okay? We think about the physical pictures. Today we're going to look at the belt. It is a physical thing, but he's not talking about taking up and putting on something physical. He's talking about a spiritual reality. That we are to take up and put on a spiritual reality. Now, before we go any further, I want to give us a little word of caution. We want to be careful that we don't overinterpret these imageries. In fact, some of this imagery the Apostle Paul uses elsewhere, but with different verbiage. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. Different image of breastplate. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So this imagery, let's use a careful hermeneutic and not read too much into what Paul is saying. But at the same time, understanding what the Apostle Paul wants us to look at. Now here's the angle we're going to look at these texts from, these pieces of armor from. If you look at verse 11 for a moment, notice what Paul says in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. The verb put on to sink into clothing. Look at verse 14. Stand therefore having fastened or put on the belt of truth. 
Notice another verb in verse 13. Therefore, take up the armor of God. To take it into your hand, to carry it, to use it. Verse 16 says this, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. We have these two verbs that are used, put on. Now, when you think put on, what comes to your image or to your mind, right? Articles of what? Clothing. The first three, belt, breastplate, you could think of shirt, and shoes are clothing, put on. The last three, take up, you will notice, shield, helmet, sword. They are armaments taken up for the purpose of fighting. But I would say this. The Apostle Paul is telling us to put on and take up all six of them. You, you've heard this, and I've heard this. Militarily, from a non-military guy, at least, this makes sense. You've heard it said, I've heard it said. The only piece of offensive weapon in this list is the sword. To which I say, we are to put on the armor of God. We are to take each one of them up and be ready to use them to fight. Five are not defensive, just stand there and watch what happens. And one offensive, they are all six supposed to be put on and taken up. So when we get to article to the time of application, we're going to apply each and every one of these in that sense. Put on and take up. Now, before we go into the text of, of the first one here, I want you to notice another parallel. Notice what he says in verse 14 again. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. If you jump down to verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Truth and Word of God are parallel to each other. They're not mutually exclusive. So, with all that being said, and if I lost you, I, I pray I didn't, but I want us to look at these six pieces of armor through the lens, put on, and take up. What does that mean? How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, stand therefore, Paul says, having fastened on the belt of truth. The Old Testament parallel. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5. I think we have that for the screen behind me. Notice what Isaiah said. He said, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now, I want you, if you write in your Bible and you keep notes, circle that word faithfulness for a moment. Faithfulness in the Old Testament translation, the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, it is translated as aletheia, which is the same Greek word that Paul uses in Ephesians 6, 14, that means objective truth. And when we see righteousness, or faithfulness rather, in Isaiah 5, you could very well translate even the Hebrew word to mean fidelity or truth. Truth, what is it? It is something that is objectively true. Objectively. The opposite of subjectively. Subjective truth would be it's true for you, but not necessarily true for me. My truth. 
Objective truth means very simply this. It is true for all people in all places in all times. That is objective truth. And so the word truth, aletheia in Greek, it means things that are true appertaining to God and the duties of man in a moral and religious matter. Morality is defined by God, not you. Morality is defined by the unchanging truth of Scripture, not our culture. It is defined by God. So when he says, take up truth, this word is the idea of the absence of falsehood or deceit. Now, I want to read a few verses for you. You don't have to turn to each and, each and every one of these, but I just want you to listen to how this word translated true, and I'll leave the Greek word alone now, the Greek word that is translated as true, listen to how this word is used elsewhere, particularly in the Apostle Paul. Notice, listen, Ephesians 4. In the same book, you can turn over a page or two if you want to see this one. Ephesians 4, verses 24 and 25, Paul says, To put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. True. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 6. You'll like this one. People, you're the love language thing. Ooh, I got to find my love language. God tells you the love language. Here's how love speaks love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. Hit a nerve yet? Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but love rejoices in truth objective, unchanging truth. Philippians 4.8, finally, my brothers, whatever is true, aletheia, think on this, objectively true. You ever think about what you think about? My guess is you think about things that are not true. They are distortions of what you see in the mirror. They are distortions of what the culture tells you. They are deceptive bait given to you by Satan and the workers of darkness who want to lure you away and think on things that are not true. I have this whole exercise I have folks do. Their their thought processes that are holding them captive. I call them debilitating thoughts. It's the things that you tell yourself over and over and over and over again until you start to believe it's true. Things like, I'm worthless, I'm no good, I'm whatever, fill in the blank. And then take that and and list now a liberating truth. What is actually true? You're a child of God, created in the image of God. Use your gifts and, and abilities for the glory of God. That's what's true. Ephesians 4.21, assuming that you have heard about him, we taught him, get this, as the truth is in Jesus. Ephesians 1.3, 13 rather, 
in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now here's a, here's a bumper sticker that might get your windows smashed if you put it on your bumper. You ready? Jesus is the only way to heaven. Exclamation point. In fact, Ephesians, excuse me, Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I don't believe that. That's your truth. No, that is God's truth. And God's truth is objective truth. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can enter into a relationship with God apart from the finished work of Jesus. That is true. It has always been true. It will always be true. Whether the culture likes it or hates it, it doesn't matter. It is true. Do you think on that? When you put on the belt of truth, let me ask you this, do you bother to put on the belt of truth? Or are you too wrapped up in the lies you tell yourself or the lies the culture's feeding you by the dump truck load to to the point that your mind is so disheveled, you don't even know what is true anymore. The belt of truth is part of the divine warrior given to us in the Old Testament, part of his arsenal. Now think about the belt of truth for a moment. It is, in a sense, what holds our uniform together. It keeps our limbs free so that we can fight. It's hard to fight when one of your hands is holding your pants up. I'm not competitive. I just think everything's a competition to win. (laughs) Everything. Just ask my wife. I was in a jump rope competition at the gym. Okay, this is what what old men do on their spare time. We were having a jump rope competition. And one guy's pretty good. I'll give it to him. He's pretty good. I did terribly. I had to quit. You know why? My pants started to fall down. <laughs> I wasn't doing that at O2 Fitness at 5 a.m. Not going to happen. Or anytime. Not going to happen. It's hard to fight when you're holding your pants on. You can't wrestle. You can't fight. You can't stand without the belt of truth. You're hindered. It might be you're losing the spiritual battle today because you're holding your pants on. Your hands are tied behind your back. Your feet are bound. You can't run, as he's going to say later. You can't fight because you are consumed with error and lies and mistruth. Paul says, put on, take up, dress yourself in the belt of truth. Now, in our culture... The idea of absolute truth is about as nauseating of an idea as you can imagine. They don't want to hear that. Absolute truth? That there is an objective truth that I have to live my life by? Yes, there is. 
And the culture tells you, young people, that true happiness and joy is found in taking the commandments of this book and throwing them away and setting yourselves free from this book, from the words of God that hinder your life. Live life on your own terms. I'll tell you what, I am now 52 years old. I've been in ministry for a long time. And I'm telling you, not just by what Scripture says, but what my eyes have seen. When you live your life outside of God's objective, unchanging truth, it will in time produce misery and consequences that you may never be able to overcome. The world is lying to you. Satan is the prince of darkness. He is leading believers, young people, particularly astray in our culture, put on the belt of truth and stand. Wear it. Take it up. By the way, I'm running out of time, but when I said earlier that we take up the truth, I want to illustrate that here for you in just a moment. But when we take up the truth, it is taking it to our culture. And saying to our culture, you can believe all the nonsense you want to believe. But here's what Scripture says. I want to move on. We're almost profoundly out of time. But thank you. I appreciate that, Ron. Ron doesn't have anything to do this afternoon. I'll tell you what, with, 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 thank you, Ron. I'm going to do something I was going to skip in the sermon. If I could pull up uh, the Psalm 19 ser uh, uh, sermon. It's not a separate sermon, I promise. <laughs> not a separate sermon. Psalm, Psalm 19, if we could put that on the board. I want to read through Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. And I want to illustrate something for you. Then I'll make some applications and we'll be done. I love this text of Scripture. I, I've preached this text at camps. I've preached this text in many places. I love it. If you write in your Bible or you highlight on your iPod, iPad or something, do that. Verse 7. The law of the Lord. If you write in your Bible, draw pictures in your Bible, whatever, underline that, circle it. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. Law of the Lord there is simply a reference to Scripture. The law of the Lord, God's word, is perfect. It revives my soul. It sets us free in a redemption sense. Whoever is saved, whoever is born again through the work of the Holy Spirit of God, their soul is reborn. They have become a new creature. They have been revived. And sometimes the law of the Lord revives a believer who has indiscreetly wandered off into places they ought not to be. Notice the second part of verse 7. The testimony of the Lord, underline it, circle it. Another word for Scripture is sure, making wise the simple or the foolish. Scripture makes you live a life of wisdom. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord, underline it, circle it, the Word of God, are right, rejoicing the heart, bringing joy to the life of a believer. The precepts, the Word of God is right. It brings rejoicing to my heart. The commandments of the Lord, underline it, circle it. Another phrase for Scripture is pure. It enlightens the eyes. Culture tells us that you're the 
blind fool. You're the one who isn't gotten with the program. You're the one that's worried about how history is going to remember you. I'm more worried about how God remembers me, not history. It's God who matters, not the opinion of our culture. And God says the commandments of the Lord are what enlighten your eyes. The fear of the Lord, underline it, circle it. Here, the phrase, the fear of the Lord, is talking about Scripture. It's clean. It endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true. They are righteous. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. That flies in the face of what our culture is telling you right now. By application, consider the two verbs that Paul says that we are to do with the entire armor of God. Number one, he says we are commanded to put on the truth like clothing. I would suggest to you that truth protects you from falling prey to the ungodly philosophy and the deception of this dark and wicked age. Satan is a liar. Truth, the word of God, protects us from being preyed upon by the worldly philosophy of this age. How about take up the truth as an armament? I would suggest to you that this isn't just a defensive weapon. This is offensive. Truth fights against lies and deception, and it promotes or protects us, rather, from this dark and evil schemes of the devil. It is something that we stand with and fight with. So what is our responsibilities in regard to this? We know that Satan is the father of lies, according to John chapter 8. We know, according to Revelation 12, that Satan is the deceiver of the entire world. So then, what do we do as we take up and put on the belt of truth? How do we do it? Well, 2 Thessalonians 9, 2, verses 9 through 12, I won't read all the verses, but listen to this, verse 10. And with all the wicked, deception for those who are perishing, because they refused to love the truth and to be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion. You've seen that in our culture. So that they may believe what is false, what is a lie, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Your responsibility as a Christian is to love truth. Believe truth. Accept it. Believe it. Ephesians 1, in him... We have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed him. Christians are those who have believed that truth. Christians are simply those who recognize that we are sinners apart from God, that the only way to heaven is through Christ and through him alone, that we have believed that truth, and therefore we have been redeemed. Now here's one that I want you to think with me on. Ephesians 4 15 through verse 25, Paul says, rather speaking the truth in love, 
Affirming people in sin is not love. You can claim that it is all day. Our culture can claim that it is all day. But speaking the truth in love. Now, we've got to make sure we keep those two in balance. We are to speak the truth, but we do it in a way that is loving. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of Christ. Now, I won't read all of it. Go down to verse 19 if you're following along. They have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to the practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 25, he tells us to speak the truth with his neighbor. As believers, not only are we to love the truth, Not only are we to believe the truth, get this one, we are to speak the truth. That means we don't lie, we don't deceive, we don't tell half-truths, we don't exaggerate, we don't tell lies. We speak the truth in love. So take up and put on the belt of truth. You know, Shying away from the truth, it earns some, I guess, pastors' popularity. I've read some that on Fridays, they preach to a, to a focus group to make sure that their message is palatable. Yeah, I don't worry about that. Grace Baptist Church is, always will be, based on truth. It will be based in song, based in preaching, on the consistent exposition of Scripture. We're not going to be driven by preferences or entertainment or soapbox theology or politics. We are going to be driven by truth. Because it is essential to us surviving in the spiritual battle. So I leave you with two questions. Number one, are you wearing the truth? Do you put it on? Are you taking up the truth to fight in the battle that we fight? You know, I see the little coloring pages that sometimes Sunday school classes get, and you got the little knight standing there and his sword, and he's all shiny. I don't see Christians as knights in shining armor. We are bloodied, dirt-stained, perspiration-drenched warriors whose armor has been scratched and dented by the attacks of the devil. But every time the armor holds, every time. Because God has given us the armor that he wore. The armor of almighty God is yours to put on and to take up and to fight the spiritual battle that you and I are called to fight. And wearing this belt of truth is only the beginning, but it will leave us prepared to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's real, he's alive, and he's coming for you, and he's coming for me. You better be dressed. You better be ready. You better be ready to stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the time together this morning looking at this text and all that it implies to us 
And God, I pray that as we think about our culture at large, it's, it's easy, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, to just get discouraging and to go hide in our cave somewhere and to just let the culture do what it's going to do. And yet, you've called us to something very different. You've called us to put on the belt of truth that we are to put it on and take it up. Not so that we can hide in our castle behind our fancy walls, but so that we can engage in the fight. We can engage in the spiritual warfare so that you would be glorified. God, I pray earnestly today that if there is someone today here, or maybe they're at home watching online, that has never in their life repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation. That there may be some even here today that have heard the truth before, they've been exposed to the gospel before, but they've never repented, they've never believed. God, I pray that if someone's here today and that is their condition, that they would repent and believe today. There may be someone here in our midst that has questions about that and perhaps they need help. I pray that you would work in their heart that they may seek someone after the service to talk to and get help from. Pray for believers today. There may be someone in this room that is teetering on the edge of spiritual annihilation because they are struggling. They're not thinking about what is true. They're not engaging in truth. They don't love the truth the way that they should. They are wandering away into their own ideologies and their own thoughts, their own their own definition of truth. God, I pray that there may be believers here that need to repent this morning. And they need to today put on and take up the belt of truth. So God, lead us to respond as you lead. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song of response today as Pastor West leads us. I'll hang here at the front. If you want to come and talk with someone, I'll be here. If you want to talk with someone after, again, I'll be here near the front. Hello. There we go. Let's remain seated for just uh, a moment, folks. You know, this is something that I was thinking about as Pastor was preaching today. Um, I, I want us to always use this closing time in a way that is intentional. I don't ever want us to be in a hurry. I don't ever want us to just, you know, we sing a song because that's what we do every week. You know, it becomes um, meaningless after a while. So today... Uh, we, we have heard a powerful message from God's Word. Amen? And we are going to sing a song in just a minute, but before we do that, I, I want to ask Brother Scott to just play softly for just a few seconds, uh, and, and I'd like us to just take a moment right now in silent prayer, each of us just praying silently, praying in your own heart, and just asking God what it is that He would have each of us to do in light of the message that we've heard preached.
let's stand. And we're going to close our service today. This is going to be our closing song for the next few weeks uh, while Pastor is preaching on this passage about the armor of God. So let's sing it today with victory in our hearts, knowing that we have the victory through Christ. O Church, arise. O Church, arise. Put your armor on. Hear the call. Love. Have a great week. You are dismissed.